Hello, my name is Ezekiel Oburu. I am an orthopedic surgeon in the University of Nairobi and our topic of discussion today is physical injuries in children. Thank you very much. So physical injuries in children constitute about 15 to 30 percent of the fractures that we see in literature specifically in children these fractures will be about 15 to 20 percent of major long bone fractures and up to over 30 percent of fractures in the hand in a child what is the etiology of these fractures basically we've got three main causes the first is accidental trauma where the child may be involved in various sporting activities but also common in our setup is uh, motor vehicle accidents or road traffic accidents and then uh, one should never forget non-accidental trauma which is essentially another name for child abuse and there are some pathological conditions like for example a child may have uh, a bone tumor or something that they may need radiation and this may end up uh, destroying the growth plate so how do we classify this fracture you've had me say in other podcast episodes that i'm not a great fan of classification however there are some classifications that have stood uh, the test of time the salter harris classification which was developed in uh, the 60s as to the test of time and sometimes uh, medical students or medical officers have difficulties in trying to remember this classification but it's really not difficult there are five main types uh, type one is a separation through the physis type two is a fracture through part of the physis but with a metaphysial fragment type 3 is a fracture through part of the physis extended through the epiphysis into the joint and type 4 is a fracture through the metaphysis the physis and the epiphysis up to the joint and type 5 is usually a retrospective diagnosis where you had a compression fracture of the growth plate and usually you don't even notice a fracture has occurred but the patient develops complications like a physial bar and uh, the patient may have growth arrest or angular deformities and this may actually show you that it was actually a salter harris type 5 uh, fracture now peterson uh, also had a classification and in peterson's description really it's more related uh, to uh, the prognosis however the most commonly used fracture the, sorry the most commonly used um, description is that of Salter Harris therefore I would advise that you stick to the Salter Harris now where do these fractures occur now if you look at the growth plate it's divided into various zones there is the germinal zone there is the proliferative zone there is the hypertrophic zone and there is the endochondral ossification zone these fractures tend to happen in the hypertrophic zone but not exclusively in the hypertrophic zone now let us look at some of the fractures specifically and what are the things that you do when you get these fractures you know if you look at salter harris type 1 fractures these fractures 
uh, if they're non-displaced, really can be treated with a cast and immobilization. If they're displaced, a close reduction and casting will suffice. Salter-Harris type 2 fractures may be treated uh, the same if um, really uh, undisplaced. However, if they are displaced, then close reduction and casting is usually sufficient. Do we ever do fixation of this with uh, percutaneous wires? Usually not. But the, some of them may entail using a wire, but most of the time, really, we don't need a wire. We just do this closed and casting. What about type 3? Now, there's an important element of Salter-Harris type 3 in the sense that this usually involves uh, an articular component because the fracture extends to the epiphysis. So one may need to do our imaging or may need to use imaging techniques that will uh, accurately delineate the articular component. These are like a CT scan. And what's the treatment? If the fracture is not uh, displaced, then one may just choose to immobilize and cast. However, the fracture may be displaced and really what applies to uh, anatomic reduction of a joint injury will apply here and therefore you may need to use either uh, screws or a K wire. What you want to avoid is as much as possible the screw or the K wire crossing the growth plate. What about type 4 fractures? Now, these fractures really can be quite prone to uh, a growth disturbance. And therefore, really, one should ensure that there is anatomical reduction of the physis and also anatomical reduction of the articular surface. Remember, if you don't get an anatomical reduction of the physis, you will very easily increase uh, the risk of a physial bar formation. Therefore, this fracture should be anatomically reduced. It may need that it may mean that one may need to use a plate or a screw. Now, let me say one thing, and this I think is very important. You know, sometimes, especially in our setup, our patients may present late, and they may present with a physical fracture. They may present after two weeks. What are some of the guidelines? During any manipulation of these fractures, really, you should try as much as possible to do minimal manipulation. In fact, a rule of 90% traction where you just pull, pull the limb for quite a bit of time and 10% manipulation is a good guiding principle. Remember, if you've tried to manipulate this fracture and it's not getting into place, you know, you try more than twice really, you're beginning to go in the danger zone where it's your manipulation which will destroy the growth plate. And some of these patients come, you know, 7 to 10 days. Really, one should be very, very careful, you know, uh, with excessive manipulation at this time because you can easily injure the growth plate. And then when you're doing your wires, please be careful. Try and avoid the growth plate as much as possible. So what's the complication of this? Obviously, our complications or the complications that we fear is a patient may develop either limb length discrepancy or angular uh, deformity because of our physial bra and therefore I think it's good to follow up this patient every you know for about six months to one year 
after surgery just to ensure that uh, they don't have, you know, either uh, a deformity or a physial bar that has formed. How are you going to be able to detect if a patient has got physial disturbance? You know, there are various imaging modalities, including a CT scan and an MRI, but really I think the gold standard now really is probably an MRI scan. Having said that, a CT scan may really aid uh, towards uh, planning for any uh, further surgery. Obviously, surgery for this is in the realms of a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. Now, let me finish by saying that most distal radius, most uh, physial injury, sorry, uh, I was thinking more about the distal radius because that's really the most common of the physial injuries, but most physial injuries heal without any problem at all. You know, they don't, you know, have complications, some more than others. The proximal humerus heals very well. The distal radius, the rate of growth arrest is a 4 to 5%. But if you look at the distal femur, it can be up to 50%, the proximal tibia up to 40%, and the distal tibia up to 40%. So thank you very much. That's thank the you end very of our much. Podcast. That's the end of our I podcast. Hope I explained. I hope I have uh, explained um, physical injuries uh, quite adequately and simply. See you next time. Mm -hmm.